I believe that this particular topic tonight, verses 11 through 15, are one of the most important, is one of the most important subjects in the church today. I don't know that it's fully taught real well. I feel sadly that it's not modeled as much as it should be. And it's something for all of us to learn because grace does not come natural. It doesn't, it's counterintuitive to the way we think and, and respond to, to God. And in this chapter, Paul really, to, in my mind, brings grace down to the level where children can understand grace. It's the goal of a teacher is to take that which is complex and make it simple. I've been accused of this, and I'm okay with that. My teaching is simple. But therein lies the power, the grace of God. If you don't understand what's being said, how can you apply it? And the thing that, that we must remember in a relationship, it isn't head knowledge that is faith. It is works that demonstrate faith. We measure our faith in the church, in the Western culture, by how much we know. We know the Bible really well, therefore that is equivalent to faith. That is not true. The word imuna, as we've talked about before, faith in the Old Testament, is more about doing rather than knowing. When you really believe, then you're going to act on that. That is true faith. And to receive the grace of God takes faith. To We act upon the grace of God. And I just love the way Titus uh, is addressing this to Titus. You know, just see Paul. You know, Titus was one of the ministry members, or team members. Him and Timothy, probably good friends. He's left him in Ephesus. Now he's leaving this guy in Crete to set things in order. And... Um, giving him full authority to help establish the church there. And uh, this is the foundational truth for every church. Now, we can define grace. We, do, we have no problem defining grace. Unmerited favor, and we've got the whole list figured out, you know. God's riches at Christ's expense, you know. We've got the little acronym going on. Those are all good. Those are great. But... To to just really receive it and have it modeled before you is a wonderful thing. And I thank God, obviously, for the Calvary Chapel movement and Pastor Chuck's example of walking in the grace of God. So um, I can't imagine I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't grow up in a legalistic church. Like, you know, don't go to the movies, don't watch TV, no, sh- no long hair, no short hair for the women, only dresses. You know, those kinds of outward measuring type measurable things that somehow means that we're holy and righteous with God and we're, we're trying to curry God's favor. And, and see, that kind of, that kind of uh, walk with God, that, you know, deed-based works based so that I can have God's favor is very frustrating. 
well, God, I did this for you, so now you owe me a blessing. See, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching God on the basis of works rather than I don't deserve anything. And so grace is not an easy thing to figure out in your walk with God. But I like the way he starts out here, and we'll just read through the, these four verses, five verses, and break it down a little bit. For the grace of God, verse 11, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, epiphino, to shine upon, and really what he, I believe, has in mind here actually is the incarnation of Christ. We really did not see the grace of God illustrated in its full way through a man or mankind until Jesus came on the scene. You know, there's that whole idea in the Pentateuch and in the first five books of what God required in the relationship that he had with the children of Israel. I've chosen you, I've, you've made you my people, and there are several things that I'm going to do. You know, he, the, the six I wills there in Exodus chapter 6. I will take you, as, and you will be my God. I'll take you out of bondage. I will deliver you, bring you into the land that I promised to your father. Just these wonderful promises. And their relationship was based upon loyal love. People miss that in the Old Testament. I don't know how we can miss it, but we just think it's all about sacrifice and and then God will be happy, you know, and he won't punish us. If we kill enough lambs and and, and slaughter enough beef, he'll he'll be in heaven and we'll be on earth and we'll survive. You know, they're missing the whole point. The carrying out of the sacrifice was the need to have their sins covered. Sin has always been a problem. Constant need for people to learn the difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the defiled. That was the whole purpose of the law. Look, you are dealing with a God that is so otherworldly that you do not want to defile yourself and you have to be careful when you enter his presence or you could get hurt severely if you ignore the protocols that he's laying out here. I am the Lord your God. I am holy. I am separate from sin. Those are... That was driven home, but it was all based in love. I have loyal love to you. I'm taking care of you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to fulfill everything that I've promised to your forefathers. What do I ask in return? Loyal love. Just loyal love. And it's the same in the New Testament. What Jesus did on the cross expressed perfect loyal love to humanity. The grace of God has appeared. It's now visible. We can see it. We see it in history. We see it in the pages of Scripture throughout the Gospels there in the New Testament. 
Aren't you glad that it's visible? There, nobody will. Nobody that stands before the judgment seat of God can say, "Well, I just it, it just wasn't there for me." It's there for everyone to see. Christ wasn't crucified in some corner and that is unknown. I mean, this is well known. The gospel's being preached for thousands of years now. But what, it, what does it do in that Jesus has appeared and that we see the grace of God? Well, what does Paul say? It brings salvation. And in our salvation, it is more, more than just saved from what? More than being saved from ourselves? More than being saved from eternal damnation? He that believeth on me shall have eternal life. And eternal life begins the moment I repent, acknowledge that I need forgiveness, that I need to have my sins atoned for. But this grace brings salvation to us. And, it, and, and the thing about the, great, the true grace of God, and I want to say true grace of God, I want to clarify that in a minute here. It teaches us. It teaches us, number one, to deny. Number two, to live. Number three, to look. These are important things to break down a little bit here. There is a grace that is really not the grace of God that's being preached in the world in, from the pulpits today. It's really kind of sad, actually, that grace, the grace that we hear about is to excuse human weakness to the point that I can indulge my flesh. There's different ways you can kind of, you know, it's been used over the years by theologians. Some people, there's positional grace that we have because we are in Christ. Jesus did everything that was absolutely necessary on our behalf for us to be acceptable to God. And now because of what Jesus has done, God is, can freely, judiciously, and on every possible imaginable way he can be good to us and be kind and gracious to us because of what Jesus has done but then there's the the flip side of that that's God's side and that's full rich and complete but the flip side of that is there's human responsibility Uh, some theologians refer to it as critical sanctification we have positional sanctification we have critical sanctification those are kind of kind of big words I guess the idea here is I'm not using the grace of God to indulge my flesh. Well, you know, we can do this because, well, we're all under the grace of God. I can, you know, this little boy went into the store, just a little guy following daddy. And unbeknownst to daddy, he snags some penny candy. Sticks it in his pocket. And nobody seems to see it until he gets in the car. And then he goes home. And on the way home, he headed for home. He pulls it out and he begins to enjoy the candy. When dad looks over and says, where, where did you get that? Oh, well... There was some by the counter, and I I just took some. So what was really tragic about this story 
And I'm sure some of you fathers are already thinking what you would probably do. I know what I would have done. But what happened in this case was, well, don't do it again. We're all under grace. It's okay. Well, that's how some people see grace. You can do whatever you want. You can indulge your flesh, and it doesn't really matter because we're all under grace. No, in reality, that was theft. You allowed your, your little son to steal from the home store owner, and you should have stopped the car, turned around, and went back there and, and made him give it back and confess what he should have done. That would have been a little nice little training exercise, actually. And it would have broken and shown him the truth that that's not grace. Now this child has now a warped view of grace. And this is, I think, part of what goes on in the church today. If we follow what Paul has said here, in just these few little verses, it will clarify what the grace of God is and what the grace of God is not. Number one, deny. Now, see, in the Western culture, grace allows me to no longer deny, but rather indulge. That's not true grace, if scripturally, as I see it. Deny ungodliness. Now, what are we talking about when we're talking about ungodliness? We're talking about the vertical relationship, our relationship with God. We know what's godly. We know what's ungodly. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We are to deny that which is wrong. Paul talks, tells the Corinthians, I, I bring captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. We are all thinking human beings. Well, for the most part, let's just put it that way. You know, we just can't seem to shut it off. We're thinking constantly. And unfortunately, not every thought we think is, that comes across our mind is pure. And the things, and we're judging those. We judge those thoughts that enter our minds. And if we are walking in the light, and if it is a dark thought, we arrest that thought, No. We can't continue on that. That's wrong. That is not right. That is not wholesome. That is not good. We take captive every thought because our heart is inclined to want to obey Christ. And we know that that's not pleasing to him. If I continue on that, that's not exercising loyal love towards Yahweh, is it? Or towards Jesus. It's not. It's not loving. So that we deny ungodliness. But it also teaches us to deny Worldly lust, worldly desires here, as it says. Worldly lusts are desires. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you can read this on your own for the sake of time. You know, Solomon, smart guy, all kinds of wealth. Anything his heart desired, he says, I went after. And he goes through the list I mean, you talk about somebody that can indulge the flesh on a high level. <laughs> he did it. And he got to the end, it was despair. You know, you know the story. I mean, he's pretty transparent about what was going on inside, even though he was able to exercise to the fullest his worldly desires. According to the gospel, or John's letter, First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 18, he talks about... Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, but lust 
the things that are in the world are the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These are of the world that are not of God. Anyone who has the love of the world in him does not have the love of God. So you see, our loyalty is that, who are we going to be loyal to? Are we going to exercise a selfish grace and indulge the flesh because we are in love with the world and that is our sin nature? It's written in the Greek there that, as I said before, Stop loving the world. You already do it naturally. Just you got to stop. That's what's being said here as well. Deny worldly desires, and we know what those are. Anything that pampers the flesh, anything that strengthens my fallen nature, with my eyes, my ears, my thoughts. The true grace of God teaches us: don't do that. That's going to hurt you. That's not going to help you. Thirdly, uh, or, you know, those are the two denies, ungodliness and worldly desires. The, the other thing, the, the second thing that grace teaches us is to live soberly. Serious. Take life seriously. You're not going to be here very long. We're not here for, it's a short ride. Some of us wish it was a little shorter. <laughs> but live soberly. Pay attention. Be alert. Life is hard, as John Wayne used to say, and stupid makes it harder. So don't do stupid things. Be sober. Pay attention to what's going on. It not only teaches us to live soberly, but it teaches us to live righteously. Do the right thing. Psalm 15, Who shall enter into the holy hill? He who swears, you know, to his own, you know, keeps his word and swears to his own hurt is one of the things there. So like if you give your word to someone, you keep your word. Oh, you, you got a, a deal. You made a deal with this guy. Well, then some things happen and the deal's not really working out in my favor. So I've under, we're under grace. We'll just let it slide. No, it's not grace at all. If you gave your word, and I've had to do this more than I would have liked to over the years. But it's the right thing to do. Keep your word. I made a commitment. I told the person I was going to do this. I'm going to follow through. So I don't profit as much or things don't work out quite the way I wanted to. And it's really costing me time, energy, etc. You know what? God honors his word above his name. So what does that say to you and to me? I, I would tell you a story when I was a young man. I rented a tool from a guy, an expensive tool. I needed a project. And he asked me not to use it on a, a generator. It was an electric tool. Uh, make sure you're using you know, r- regular AC power. Um, because if you it can hurt it can damage the tool. So the project we were working on was about two thousand feet off uh, the road, and so they had to put new power back in this area. And so you know, of course, all things happen slower than you want them to, right? And so we were back there needing to do some tune-ups using this tool, and. 
we didn't have any power. So I bought a, like a, I rented a large generator. And that generator would actually take care of a farm. It was that big, it was a big one. So I thought in my mind, I would, you know, there's no way it's going to be a problem. But on the way to take that tool that it was, was a pull behind generator, um, it came loose from my truck. I wasn't going very fast, but it bounced off. It was a bumpy road and it bounced off and, and, and the Lord just arrested me right there. You gave your word. I mean, I had the, the specs. I had it all figured out. But that's beside the point. I gave my word to that man that I wouldn't. Well, the Lord made sure I kept my word. <laughs> so, giving your word is a big deal to someone. And when you, even if it hurts, right? It teaches us to live righteously. It also teaches us to live godly. In order to live godly, you're going to have to deny yourself. And you're going to have to put some effort to live for God and to live as God would have you live. So it teaches us to deny, it teaches us to live, it teaches us to look. And I love this here. Looking for the blessed hope. If you are really walking in the grace of God, where is your focus going to be? You're not looking at God thinking that he's judging you on every move and every thought and he can hardly wait to spank you for getting out of line. Now, you may have been raised by some really strict parents that maybe that's what you were parented, and that's unfortunate. But even though you may have been raised in grace, a home full of grace, there were still rules. There were still acts of love and balance that needed to happen. You don't do that to your brother or your sister because that's not loving. That happens in a house that's ruled by grace. If you are really in the grace of God, you're looking to the Lord. Is this pleasing to you, God? You're not thinking he's ready to judge you. You're, you're, just, you're actually in communion with him, seeking his affirmation and confirmation that the choices you're making are pleasing to him. That's how you know you're under the grace of God. It is your attitude as you interact with the Lord. Are you asking for his blessing? How many people want his blessings, right? If you don't really know what's involved in that, then you need to listen to last Sunday's sermon again. Because, <laughs> man, he really wants to bless us, and he, doesn't he? That's great. Good stuff. But you're, if you are living in the grace of God, you're going to be looking to the Lord, looking for that blessed hope. And of course, that ties into the second coming, doesn't it? I can hardly wait until Jesus comes back. Man, I think Chuck was talking about that more. I mean, I followed, I was in, you know, I started following that ministry in 1977, and he never let up. I mean, the whole time until the Lord took him home, it was, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Man, I just can't see past 1982, you know, all the way back. Wait, (laughs) here we are, you know. But it does. The, The grace of God, there's a longing to be with God. If you're living under grace, there's a longing to, to just be in the presence of God. Looking for the blessed hope. 
and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. You know, as far as I'm concerned, he can't come soon enough. Wow. I mean, did you ever think what happened a year and a half ago would escalate this quickly? We have a high school girl who was arrested in high, at the school for not wearing a mask. And he handcuffed this girl. Are you serious? Now, the legality of that, completely illegal. There's no, there's no legal precedent for this. The mandate, that the, it's just that's all it is. It's what we are, tell you to do. There's no law. Yet they broke the law and arrested this girl and handcuffed her because, you know, see, she's 60. I mean, what a criminal she is, you know. This is just out of line in so many levels. That was in Montana, I think. So, come quickly, Lord. <laughs> Deliver us from these things. But then, notice the reflection. As you were thinking about the Lord and His coming, look what He's done for us. It's not what we can do for the Lord as we've been taught. It's what God has done for us. Who gave Himself for our sins. Aren't you glad of every lawless deed? Notice here he says that relationship is one that purifies. You, if you're walking in the grace of God, there's a purity that will develop. That is the natural outflow of grace. It is a purifying walk that you have with God. You're not, you're not being coerced. See, true love lets people choose. So what's being put upon us in our culture right now is you have no choice, you have no freedom. Who does that sound like? Whose camp does that actually come from? Not God's. God wants, God's all about freedom and your choice because we're going to stand before him for our choices. He just wants you to choose wisely and righteously. And if you do that, the natural outflow and effect of that in your life is purity. You'll be purified. Of course, if you're denying the ungodly, ungodliness, and you're de denying the worldly uh, lust, of course. That means you're so full of Jesus that that's what's coming out. Isn't that great? It's pretty kind of self-explanatory here. For his own special people, zealous for good works. How can I make Jesus known to others? How can I serve other people? How can I help? I just, I am so blessed by people who love to serve. You know, the, I've noticed this over the years. The cr Christians that, who have the most joy are busy doing something for the Lord. The people that have the most peace are usually the ones that are ob in obedience and walking. The ones that are living holy lives is because they're serving the Lord. They're, they're active in their service in some way. They're servant-hearted. It's just, it's, it's all tied together. And then, of course, he ends in verse 15 here, and I'll end too, early tonight. The responsibilities that he's giving to Titus. Now, this is, a, this is an important thing. It's not only a, the authority that pastors have on a local level and uh, apostles have who are missionaries, essentially, sent ones, sent out to establish things. 
and that kind of thing. But you, you, can, you can only exercise the authority that you understand that you have. And this is an area that, that I think, again, it's tied into grace. If you're not walking in grace and you're kind of living after the flesh and you're justifying some of these activities, you're not going to be able to exercise the, all the authority that, that, that God wants to give you because you're not submitted to him as you should be. Jesus had the spirit without measure. He was completely submitted to the Father's will. Not my will, but yours be done. As I hear, I do. If you're walking in the Spirit, you will hear and you'll obey. Now, unfortunately, we don't always hear clearly and we don't always obey, obey immediately. And therein lies the struggle that we have. But God help us in our weakness. He, and He does. But he wants Titus to exercise the authority. Now let's think about the authority that were given to the apostles early on. They, were, they didn't have the Holy Spirit at this time. But he sent them out. Remember in his ministry he sent out, out the 12 and then later on he sent out the 70. But the initial 12 cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, preach the gospel. That's your, that, I'm giving you that authority. Get it done. Do it. That's what authority is saying. That's what the Spirit is saying to us in the authority that he's given to the church. Get it done. Don't leave it undone. To the degree that we get it done, the more confidence we're going to have before God on Judgment Day. If we are pulling back and, well, we don't really know if God wants us to do this or that. Well, let's just find out. We know that he wants us to preach the gospel. Let's just, let's just go with what we know for sure, okay? Let's just remind ourselves. This is good. We, we know where to preach the gospel, right? Well, I don't know if I should share it with my neighbor. What do you mean you don't know if you should share with your neighbor? Of course you should share with your neighbor. After much prayer and thought and praying for divine appointments, then share. I mean, don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it out of a works trip. Well, I got a notch, another notch on my belt because I told someone else about Jesus. It's not about record keeping here. That person is lost and they need to hear the truth. Now, I don't do this perfectly either. But we know that that's one thing. We're to... Anybody, help me out here. What are the things that, that we know we're supposed to do as believers? We're to build up one another, love one another, pray for each other, disciple. Say again. Baptize. You need baptized, do you? No? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Observe communion. Give, give back a portion of what he's given to you as, you, as you've uh, prospered. As you prosper, you, you give back in recognition. See? Abide. Abide in the vine. Just hang in there, man. So the, those are the, some basic things that are very uh, crucial. That And God is giving us the authority. We don't have to ask God if we can do this. You know, don't you love that as you were a little kid and you were growing up, as you got big. You just couldn't wait to get be big, right? I want to be big. That never happened to me, but that's okay. I want to be big. I want to I be an adult. 
And then you got more responsibility, right? You could exercise quote unquote more authority. Well, it's like that in the church. And some people just like, kind of like me when I first come to the Lord, three months in, I'm like, my fr- friend that was discipling me, look, man, you're a Christian now. I am? Like, you know, I wasn't raised in a church. I didn't understand any of the lingo. I was like, I'm just trying to f- figure this whole thing out here. Well, you're saved. You know, you've asked Jesus. You're, you know, yeah, well, okay. Oh, Okay. You know, it, sometimes, you know, you don't always get it right up front. But we should understand what we've talked about in just in these basic levels. We have the authority. There's no questions about it. Get it done. Okay, well, let's, how about casting out demons? Oh, <laughs> I got a little intimidated. I was intimidated by that for a number of years. So I said, Lord, I see that that's what they did. I'm, why am I intimidated by this? You've given us authority over them. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? So what's the problem? Well, I don't have the gift of discernment, so I don't know if they're really possessed or not. Okay, for me it was, I'll take you to Africa and I'll show you what that looks like. <laughs> very overt over there. It's very real here. It's, it, it's very real here. You have the authority to cast out a demon in Jesus' name. Don't be intimidated. Oh, well, what if they start talking with a weird voice? So what? Tell them to be quiet. Muzzle up. No. And actually, what will actually happen to you, as it happens to most people who work in this exorcism ministry, is you, there's a holy anger, a righteous anger, that this demon has sought a host, found one, and is destroying this person's life. And it is so maddening. And you take authority in Jesus' name, and they must submit, and they must go. And that is the authority that you have. And you don't need to go to Africa to exercise it. I did learn that too. (laughs) That's very important. Exercise the authority. For Titus, it was ministering the word what he says speak these things exhort rebuke with all authority we have pastors have no authority except the word of God I have nothing to say to you apart from the word of God I can give you my opinion but that's all that that's really not that important what's important is God's opinion bring them bring people to the word so when someone asks you a question you're discipling them well, what does the Bible say? Well, I think this. Well, no, stop. What does the Bible say? That is always point people to the Word of God. Always point people to the Scriptures. You'll never go wrong with that. Well, the Scriptures doesn't say anything about that. Well, then why should I say anything? You figure it out. If the Bible's clear, speak the Word. If it's not clear, then you're not required. You're not under obligation to give people an opinion that might be good or it might not be for them. Let them figure it out. It'll free you up when you don't have to have all the answers. I love that. I love that when I, when I learned that a number of years ago, oh, I don't really have to give an answer to everybody that asks me. And I, as I am free to say, you know what? <laughs> I just don't know how freeing that is. Always pointing people to the word. 
exhorting the flock. The idea isn't beating people. What does the word exhort mean? It means to come alongside. Kind of sort of another step beyond edification. The word edifies, builds up. Exhort, taking what has been shared and then coming alongside and helping them get where they need to be. And so this this is a um, powerful word and a clear line of authority given to leadership in the church. And then rebuke. Well, okay, let no one despise you. I think those are connected there. In other words, if you have to reprove someone or rebuke someone, it's sort of like parent-child, right? You know, you love your kids, and when they do some bonehead thing, you just can't let it slide. But you don't have to go up there and just absolutely level them and wipe them out. You just say, look, that was rude, that was not loving, and we will not do that again. And you not only have a time out here, but you cross the line, you will have to receive punishment for this. You knew that was wrong, you disobeyed, and you know how to measure that out as a parent. Now, you can do that in a way that, that's above and beyond what the crime calls for. That will breed resentment. And he says here, let no one despise you. So temper what you do. When you have to confront the negative, just temper, you know, for me, and just an, kind of a hard nose sometimes, not all, my wife will say, no, you're not. It's not. Sometimes I am. And she'll, she will admit that, though, if you ask her. <laughs> but you can do, it's the tone. Sometimes my tone is just so wrong. Why does it, hey, this isn't capital punishment necessary here. Just, I, that was wrong. I don't appreciate that. Don't do that again. That'll work. You don't need to leave a stinger there that's going to, you know, hurt for a while. When you love your children, you're very gentle and kind, but you're exacting. And that is the point here. You don't skim over it because that's not grace, right? The grace of God. That's, what that's the context here. This is the tell, speak the truth in love and do the rebuking and reproving in such a way that it doesn't injure the person where they carry the scar from your encounter with them. And sometimes within the body of Christ, there are relationship breaks down, breakdowns that need to be patched up and healed. There's things in marriages that need to be healed. So God's all about the relationship. If we walk in grace, the better off we'll be. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the grace that's available <laughs> from you because you were willing to go to the cross to open up the treasure trove of blessings and grace and peace and joy, forgiveness, everything that we could ever possibly need you've provided for us and are so willing to give it to us even though we don't deserve one thing from you, Lord. We just want to say thank you for the God that you are, how kind and gentle and good 
so wise, so gentle. Thank you, Lord. So bless our time that remains here as we pray for one another, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.